Hey, what is up? Hello, and welcome in to another edition of Downey and Martez, a Bucks Nation podcast right here on SB Nation. Coming off of a Tampa Bay Buccaneers victory that was snatched from the jaws of defeat. 17-16 over the New Orleans Saints on Monday Night Football. We will talk about that today and look forward to a matchup against the San Francisco 49ers that looks fairly different than the last time we spoke to you. I am Trey Downey, the Downey half of this dynamic duo. You can follow me on Twitter at TD Experience. Bucks Nation on Twitter is at Bucks underscore Nation. Check out BucksNation.com for the latest and greatest on your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And one of the top follows on Twitter for any sports fan is the Martez half of this dynamic duo. You can follow that man on Twitter, at Elmar810. He's not on the injury report like the Buccaneers' Lenny. He is our Lenny, Len Martez. What's up, man? All right, so I know we're going to get into this, and we got a lot to talk about when it comes to the Saints game on uh, Monday night. But it won't look that much different on Sunday when it comes to the 49ers. All right? The guy that's taking a snap doesn't change a whole lot of things. I'll just say that. But moving on. Moving on. So this team showed, I tweeted out on Monday night after the Bucks scored the touchdown in the closing seconds for Shad White catching the what ultimately was the game-tying touchdown and then Ryan Suckup kicking the extra point that was ultimately the game winner for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that this team might still have a little bit of magic in them. But how that last few minutes changed the narrative of what we are talking about today, because the majority of that game, I'm sitting here thinking on on this podcast this week, I'm going to come here and talk about where I don't even think this team is going to make the playoffs anymore. It's completely downhill. I don't, I just don't know what happened. I was going to go further into Todd Bowles losing his job like I did last week. Um, But then the final five minutes happened. And while you can't erase what happened in the first 55 minutes, maybe the Bucs can glean some momentum from this, even though I said that they might be able to do that from the Rams game. It lasted for one game and then they couldn't carry over the bye week. Len, I'll start with asking you this question. Where was what the Bucks were able to do in those final two drives for the majority of this football team, football game. Why were they able to do that in crunch time, but they weren't able to do it for the, I mean, when in, when in this season have they had two straight touchdown scoring drives like that? So it's almost like they haven't been able to have that back-to-back success on drives all year long. So in the season and in, in this game, where was that? The whole de- the whole night, they've had moments where they've had they put possessions and, and scoring drives together. That's not the thing. The thing is, when it comes to the play calling, all right, you basically were down thirteen points. Looking at your season, <laughs> looking at being five and seven, being two games under five hundred at home on a Monday night, and again being held without a touchdown against a division rival who's done that 
two straight times already before Monday night. Don't forget that. All right. Brady, Saints, Ray J. First time, 38 to 3. All right. Last year, Brady, Saints, Ray J. Nine to nothing. It ain't hard, bro. Towson State grad. Towson State, baby. Towson State, when I went there, now it's just Towson University. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Andy Freed, raised play-by-play man, fellow Towson Tiger. Point being is, even with my degree, it ain't real hard to figure out. As I said, 38-3, to 9 nothing. That's three points, dude, that they scored in, in eight quarters against the Saints. All right? They did that on the opening at drive. At home, because they, they did have the success yes, earlier home. this year. Correct. As I said, Ray J, Brady, Ray J, Saints. All right? So, point being is, opening drive Monday night, they scored three points. Impressive. The play calling change. Eh, I was kind of thinking, uh, another another doesn't matter. start to be a successful drive. That's fine. And it's a That's fine. I'm not talking about the ending of the drive, dude. I'm talking about the whole drive. Opening okay. possession. Follow me on this, man. You're gonna interrupt, you're gonna interrupt me, <laughs> and you're gonna let me let me not talk to Bucks Nation. We are the nation of domination. Follow me on this. Buck Nation is with me on this, okay? I am talking from the standpoint of, and I just broke it down to you. Again, 38 to 3, 2020, that year, Brady, Saints, Ray J. Last year, 2021, 9-0, Sunday night game, Brady, Saints, Ray J. So what do you do on Monday night, opening drive? You can say the ending wasn't good, bottom line is, on the opening drive, you scored as many points you did in eight quarters at home against the Saints, okay? That's my point before you interrupted me. That's my point, is it took one simple drive that they opened it up from a play calling standpoint. It wasn't that bland-ass play calling. They finally did something, okay, to change the play calling. And then what did they do the, final, the rest of the freaking first half? And the third quarter, or at least until the fourth quarter with three minutes left, the same lame-ass play calling. That's why it took them two, three minutes left in the game, to finally do something that they hadn't done in three games at home against the Saints. And that's do what? Score a touchdown. Okay? There you go. So you can talk about the ending of the first drive not being where you wanted it to be, and I get it, another red zone ending with a field goal. I get it. But the bottom line is they hadn't done that, dude. They didn't do it last year. They got shut out. They finally scored points. Man, forget, forget fire the cannons. Man, they should have been setting off poppers all up and down. Dale Mabry. So, I mean, you said creative play calling on the first drive. They opened things up towards the end of the towards the end of the game as well like is there any logic to why they aren't doing this more often and will something will that success at the end of the game will that open things up more moving forward or do you think it's just going to be more of the same i'll get into byron leftwich's comments that he made today as well here in just a minute 
Here's the reality. The reality is, along with the play calling changing, it's also what the Saints did. <laughs> I don't know what Dennis Allen was thinking about, but I know, I know he's missing pieces to his defense. But they stopped playing. They stopped defending the way they would they played the first three quarters and the way they defended against Tom Brady at home the first the last two games, the first two games that he played against the Saints as a Buccaneer at Ray J. Now, again, like I said, they were hurt, all right? Corners were hurt. So you change things up a little bit. But as far as the Bucs are concerned, dude, I mean, I, I, I'll sit here and I'll say it. And I was dead wrong about Rashad White when they first drafted him. Dude has been a steal. And he's changed his team from the standpoint of being available to be a potential third down, a three down back. All right. I'm not telling you Fournette needs to worry, but the reality is that Rashad White can be a three down back in this league. And with that, you get the versatility and the skill set that he gives you. And I'm going to tell you right now, dude, if they don't take advantage of that guy catching the football out of the backfield the way Tom has had other guys in the league, that is on daggone Leftwich and Todd Bowles. And that is a, that is a, you know what? I'll say it right now. It is a damn firing offense. I'm being dead serious, dude. It is a damn firing offense. You want to know why? Because it keeps you from having a stale-ass offense that goes third down and one. Let's run it to the left. Third down and fourth down and one. Let's pitch it to the left. You know how many times they did that this year, dude, and they got stopped? I got the Carolina game ringing in my head with that crap. Over and over. I, I got it on my Twitter feed. I'm on day 10, by the way. I got it on my Twitter feed. All right. One of that same lamb-ass crap behind. I mean, God bless Tristan Wirfs, but he can't block two or three guys, dude. Third and one. Let's run it to the right. Fourth and one. Let's pitch it to the right. I mean, come on, man. Take advantage of the talented guys you got on your football team, like Rashad White. Other than the play calling, I think that Tom's play for the majority of that game does deserve a little bit of criticism. He turned into that dude on those final final couple drives, but he was off. He was high on a lot of throws on Monday on Monday night. And two, I don't like the way that it's it's becoming more evident this year, I feel like, than it has in the past. I don't like the way that he's throwing the ball away but still like in the field of play yes they're low throws but some of these are like dangerous throwaways like in danger of being picked off so I wish he would get that out of his system a little bit because he's he's doing that quite a bit and how many picks he, he got he, how many picks he got three Who's got three picks yeah but I, I'm just okay. saying like so those, you need to those, find those, something you need to find something else dude I, and I, there's I enough talk, things I, to pick. There's enough to. I, I'll agree with you. I'm talking about to, the high throws. I'll agree with you when it comes to his play on on, on Monday night. And the deep balls off too. From from the second quarter until until probably, quite frankly, you know, single digits minutes left in the game with nine or ten minutes left in the game. He he wasn't sharp. He wasn't sharp. I, I'll give you that much. But as far as you know, throwing the ball away and and. And nearly throwing picks, there are too many things and too many issues on the football team to worry about that guy 
that dude now calling him that dude because of what he did in the final three minutes. But that dude throwing the ball away the way he throws the ball away. Too many other issues on his football team on the offense to worry about that dude. And you know what? <laughs> you know what's funny? We sat here a year ago, probably a little bit, a little bit closer to probably about 15 months. And you talked about Julio Jones and how he was going to be all this with Tennessee <laughs> and all that with Tennessee. And I said, that's not what they're made of. That's not what they're made to do, man. It's Derrick Henry left, Derrick Henry right. A.J. Brown's the number one there. They don't need they, – I mean, they're not going to throw the ball at him. And sure enough, they didn't use him a whole lot. And he couldn't stay healthy, and he, he ends up here. And you know what? I'm not going to deny drinking a little bit, a little bit, of the Kool-Aid when I went out camp and watched him a couple of times and watched him, thought he was healthy, and thought in terms of, okay, maybe he's rejuvenated a little bit. You know, he gets to play with Tom Brady, gets to be in the wide receiver room with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. He's not expected to be the number one, although I said that in regards to Tennessee where he wouldn't be the number one with A.J. Brown. Different situation because he's not the number one here on a football team that actually would use him a whole lot more than Tennessee would. And on top of that, he gets a he gets a mismatch every time because what is he doing? He's going up against the third best corner on football teams, right? Because Godwin and Evans are gonna get the gonna get the top two. The issue is <laughs> Julio Jones is no better than that third corner now. <laughs> That's the problem. Okay, we're I mean, not Tom talking about him. Julio. What? Excuse me. Tom missed him on a couple of those long balls. I mean, he there did. was the one. There was the one where both Julio and Mike were both open and he chose to go to Julio, which that's a whole different story. Like, give Mike Evans more targets. Look what looks what happens when you throw him the football. But it's I mean, he Julio has has shown flashes this <laughs> nah, year. If, if Tom nah. if Tom puts that that ball on him and he has that long touchdown on Monday night, we're having a different story. No, we're not, because that's only two. That's only two plays. <laughs> or three. He had to, he had to, I mean, he's been hurt most of the season. Okay, well, yeah. that's the reality. That that's what we that's what we were he, dealing with. I'll give you this. He's looked good. He's looked good in two games: the opener against Dallas, and then the game in Germany against Seattle. Those but, were your but, two okay. Julio Jones I'll, sightings I'll for the year. I'll give you Monday night. I'll give you Monday night. Although statistically, play wise, when it comes to actual plays, he may have not given you anything Monday night. I'll give you Monday night as far as. Getting open on Monday night. The problem is, dude, like I said, that's three games. <laughs> okay. They play 12. Don't tell me about being hurt. We knew that. Okay. We knew that in July and in August. All right. We knew that. When it comes, the bottom line was, and the talk was, oh, uh, you know, stay healthy. If he stays healthy, he'll produce. Okay. But enough's enough when it comes to if he stays healthy, okay? Because what do you sign him for? He could have went somewhere else and did the same thing he's doing here. 12 games? What, you make a difference in two of them, make plays in two of them, and had an opportunity in the third one, but the quarterback missed you? Come on, man. That's not enough, man. That's not enough. Speaking of receivers, what do you make of the team cutting Jalen Darden? You know what's funny? I was thinking about that, 
in regards to him getting cut. And I think if if a certain Kangle wearing head coach was still coaching his football team, he wouldn't have gotten cut. I think Why? Bruce I think Bruce liked himself some Jalen Darden. The the idea was his rookie year, the idea was and the conversation was he was gonna be part of the offense. He was gonna be a part of the offense. You know, a guy that that's produced, although you can question the you know the competition, whatever. Yeah, you know, one power five, but the guy put up numbers in college. And he put up impressive numbers of companies. And he had a good rookie camp. All right. And the, the idea was that he was going to play a lot when it came to not just special teams, but part of five wide or whatever it was. Problem is, there's other guys that pushed him, dude. All right. Cyril Grayson pushed him out the way. That's the problem. So the reason why, and, and you know, as much as we talk about, Scotty Miller making grimy plays. He didn't do it. He wasn't the guy that pushed Jalen Darden out the way. Maybe finally now he did in 2022. But hell, it took Scotty a long, a long time to finally make some of those plays. I still got visions of him getting hit in the head with a dang on him with a ball a couple of weeks back, coming across the middle. Bravo Troy Aikman for pointing out how good that route he ran on that that slant near the end of the game for the first down. That's the kind of type of grime he played that we've been waiting for from Scotty. He's made a, he's made a few, but yeah. when it comes to when it comes to Darden, I just think that Bruce would have seen or would have thought that the, that potential of being a part of the offense is still there, I, and I and I think. He'd still be here if it, if it wasn't for the fact that, um, yeah, Bruce Bruce Arians is not the head coach anymore. We've talked a lot all season about the about the play of the Bucks' offensive line and how much they've missed Robert Haynes or uh, Ryan having Jensen. Robert, yeah Ryan Jensen and having Robert Hainsey at center and then what they've gone through with uh, Gedeke and. Um, and now Nick Leverett at left guard. But one player that we haven't mentioned is Donovan Smith. And the microscope is starting to uh, circle in on him a little bit more. A lot of holding calls for number 76 this year. And then if you look at the analytics, uh, he's ranked in the 70s, I believe, in terms of tackle play by Pro Football Focus this year. Um, is Donovan having a regression in your eyes or how much of it is him playing with a different guy beside him for the first time in his career? Because he, him and Allie, we know about their relationship on the field, but those two guys were next to each other for their entire careers from rookie season on. Yeah, no, I, listen, you talk to a lot of offensive linemen, current, former, they'll tell you. Especially the in interior, not just the tackles, but the interior. You're only as strong as your weakest link, dude. And if Donovan's on, on that left side, left tackle, and that left guard is having issues, and he's not accustomed to that guy being there like he was accustomed to Ali Marpet, who was, you know, was a solid guy that those guys, 
there's a chemistry thing there too. That that's huge, dude. So he's had to adapt to having a, a new guy next to him. All right. And if that new guy ain't pulling pulling the way he's supposed to pull, and I'm not talking about pulling guard on plays, I'm talking about pulling like he's supposed to pull on every play. He ain't pulling his weight. He ain't doing his job. Isn't doing his job. Towson University grad. I gotta stop stop saying ain't. <laughs> but if he's not doing his job, all right. If he's not doing his job, that left tackle is gonna go through some issues. Now, the problem, okay, it's one thing to blow assignments. It's another thing to get penalties. All right. At least. At the very least, when it comes to offensive linemen, and I'm not saying you want these penalties, but if you get holding penalties, coaches can live with them. Coaches can live with them because they'll tell you, hey, man, <laughs> they caught you on that play, but they didn't catch you on the last one because that's how it is, right? You can get a holding penalty on any play, right? <laughs> they didn't catch you on that one, but they caught – watch film. I've watched film, and that's how it is. But – what coaches won't live with is pre-snap penalties. So if a guy's getting them, that's an issue. All right? Folks want to say, oh, he's getting a lot of holding penalties. Man, like I said, offensive linemen are going to get holding penalties. But if he's getting pre-snap penalties, that's an issue, dude. That is huge issue. Especially with a guy who – is supposed to be the leader of your leader of your offensive line at this point as well with that, with the Jensen injury and being out for the entire season at this point, I said, I was going to get to Byron Leftwich's comments. Uh, we we've kind of meandered along, but we'll get back to the play calling and the, in the offense before we move on to talking about the 49ers this weekend. Um, and speaking to the media today, Byron Leftwich was asked about how to improve the Buccaneers offense. And his basic answer was, you just got to score more points than the other team. Um, one of the biggest cliches in football, the team that scores more points will win. He was asked again, doubled down, and basically went on the same answer. Bravo to... Fox Sports' Greg Allman for tweeting out this exchange and Sarah Walsh for following up uh, on Byron to, to push him on, on a different answer. What do you make of the of him having these comments and this being the route that he's taking? He's He's been very combative uh, with the media this year in terms of uh, when his play calling has been questioned. Because he's been the guy that's had to answer the most questions when it comes to the offense. And he's been the guy that's that's at the helm of, of an offense that should not be struggling the way they struggled to move the football. Struggled the way they struggled in the red zone. All right? Show, not shown creativity with as much talent as they have on that football team. All right? Think about it. You can tell me, oh, well, you know, they're missing Gronk, and you know, he he was he was basically a, a tight end, but also a lineman, which is true. When it came to the running game, Gronk was a great blocker. You mentioned, you know, Donovan Smith earlier. That's also a loss that people don't talk about when it comes to Donovan Smith. 
Okay. <laughs> 87, 87 was on, was on somebody's side blocking pretty well. All right. Helping out big time. The best yeah. years of his career were when Gronk was here. That's when Donovan Smith really developed into uh, one of the better left tackles in the league the past and, couple of years. And now he's gone. But the, but the point is when it comes to left, which is concerned is that people can tell me, you know, Gronk's not here. Tom misses him. Okay. Fine. Tom's played enough without Rob Gronkowski to be successful. All right. He's won championships without Rob Gronkowski. All right. Whether it was Rob on the roster or before he got there, or whether it was because Gronkowski got hurt. Bottom line is Thomas had a lot of success without Rob Gronkowski on his football team or active playing. My point is, is that there is enough talent on this football team offensively to look better than they've looked. And that's the problem with Byron Leftwich because he's had to answer this. He's the guy that's the, the guy that's calling the place for the greatest quarterback of all time. And the greatest quarterback of all time is having a so-so year under his offense. All right. You can tell me about the days that Tom was in New England and his numbers may be kind of like what he's doing this year. The difference is, dude, I mean, other than Randy Moss, what do I receiver the Tom have in New England? Okay. He's on this football team with Godwin and Mike Evans. And his statement is Godwin is as good as not better than Mike, you can say whatever you want in regards to that comment, all right? But Thomas made that comment multiple times. I, I remember specifically when they played that game against Washington, that playoff game, and Godwin had his drops, right? <laughs> and the analyst, I believe it was Collinsworth, said Tom told him during the week, all right? He's got the best hands on the team, Okay? So, again, my point is, with all this talent that Leftwich at, has at his helm, including the greatest quarterback of all time, and this offense looks like it does, that's why he reacts the way he reacts when it comes you to... Have an, I was going to say, do you have an issue with how he's responded to the... Like, how he's answered the criticisms? I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't have a big issue with it. I Look... It's not, it's not Greg Popovich, all right, just going <laughs> off the deep end just because of generally speaking. Or Nick Saban, who, you know, who tells, me, who tells people, who tells, you know, whomever it is asking him questions at, at halftime. Uh, or Maria Taylor, you know, asking him questions Ugh. like, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you anything different, so I don't know why you keep asking me, you know, that that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but Leftwich doesn't get that deep into, you know, being the way he is. He's just, again, it's not just him being rude about things. He's had to answer this all year long. And I, I'm not telling you it's not rude. I'm just telling you he's not just being rude to be rude. He's feeling the pressure of, again, having the greatest quarterback of all time look like he's looking with this offense and his team being six and six. And again, 
not getting the most out of this football team that has the talent that it has offensively. Dude, you gotta realize something, man. I mean, when it comes to when it comes to coaches, when it comes to the good ones, they get that talent to perform at that level or more. When you have that much talent on your football team and that talent doesn't perform at its level that it's supposed to perform at, that's a coaching issue, dude. <laughs> that's a coaching issue. I don't care what anybody tells you, okay? Because that's what it is. You got you got coaches. Look at Brian Dable in, in, in New York. All right? I'm not telling you from a new Rocky standpoint. I'm telling you from a scheme standpoint, dude. I'm telling you from a Monday to Saturday. They know what they want to do on Sunday. And they get the most out of that offense? Come on, man. You got to do better. You have to do better. And that's why that guy's reacting the way he's reacting. Do you think he regrets not taking the Jacksonville job based on how this season has gone? No, because I, I, I mean, I just think that he probably thinks there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And he should. Because honestly, I mean, <laughs> with the people you have around you, there should be a light at the end of the tunnel. And not only that, I mean, he's still the offensive coordinator of a football team. That's going to make the playoffs too, dude. You don't know what's going to happen in Jacksonville. I mean, you, you know, I mean, you did digging out what Urban Meyer left behind, dude. All right. So now let's talk about this Sunday, the Bucks head to San Francisco. I mentioned that the game looks entirely different because you're going from a quarterback who's taken the team to a Super Bowl and a conference championship and Jimmy Garoppolo to Mr. Irrelevant. Brock Purdy from Iowa State will be the starter this Sunday in San Fran. Lynn, are you really no more confident in the Bucks' chances with Purdy at quarterback than what you would have been with uh, Garoppolo playing? I mean, slightly, but not not a whole lot. I just watched him play Sunday. And you can you can talk about coming in in the situation he came in. To me, that shows you more about the player and the quarterback. You know, the idea is, well, now there's film out there on him. Yeah. He also gets to prepare, too, as a starter. And not only that, they, they can scheme offensively for him. Right? He went into the game on Sunday, dude. What was he doing? <laughs> he was playing Jimmy Garoppolo. All right. You can talk about his skill set or lack thereof because he's Mr. Irrelevant. But ultimately, again, you get a head coach slash offensive coordinator in Kyle Shanahan who's going to do what? He's going to make this game about Brock Purdy because that's who's playing on Sunday, dude. Like I said about Dable in New York with Daniel Jones. You're going to structure your offense around what? Around a guy like Brock Purdy who gives you what he gives you, his skill set. I'm expecting them to do a whole lot different things than they did against Miami on Sunday. And they did enough to win it. I mean, granted, the defense balled the heck out and set them up a whole lot from a field position standpoint and had a couple of picks because two all of a sudden turned into, I don't know, they just 
throwing the football. Well, you got, I think I think in that game you got to take into account how well Shanahan knows what knew what McDaniel was going to want to do on the on the other side. It wasn't just that, dude. They, they missed they missed Armstead, their their left tackle. Bolsa was. I mean, I'm, I'm still watching Nick now. Bolsa dancing, you know, because yeah. he was just blowing up in the backfield. But you mentioned about what he, what Shanahan might have known about McDaniel. Dude, two was off all game. It wasn't just about that. There were opportunities, all right, where he had time. He was high on a lot of throws, man. High on a lot of throws, missing Hill wide open, throwing the ball at Waddle's feet. He was off. But the point is, is that the Niners, all right, their defense set the offense up pretty well. But now they got all week. Again, Shanahan's got all week to to create a scheme for Brock Purdy. And you might say, oh, he's probably just going to be a game manager. So what? There's still going to be plays that are going to be in there strictly for him. Like I said, people will say, oh, you know, you got film on Brock Purdy. Yeah, but you also got a guy in Kyle Shanahan who's going to create plays to make that guy, put that guy in the best position to be successful. That's another thing that has me fuming about the Buccaneers. All right? I've said this before to you. And Bucks Nation, I apologize. We are the nation of domination. I apologize for saying this over again, but I'm going to say it to you, I'm blue in the face. When you're a leader, no matter what business you're in, all right, head coach, offensive coordinator, just in business in general, Man, it's your responsibility to put your people in a position to be successful. That's what Shanahan does with his people. That's what Dable did in Buffalo with Josh Allen, and he's doing in New York with Daniel Jones. All right? That's what Doug Peterson is supposed to do for Trey, uh, Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. All right? That's what, what Nick Sirianni is doing with Jalen Hurts in Sirianni's Philadelphia. Sirianni's doing it with Jalen Hurts. Another example of it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm one of the first people that, you know, when people talk about Jay Hurts, I'm like, man, that guy's late on his throws. And you know mm-hmm. what? He might still be late on his throws, but you know what Nick Sirianni is still doing? Putting him in a position to be successful so that late on his throws doesn't matter as much as it did before. Can the Bucks win on Sunday? Hell no. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I'm just telling uh, you. Look, here's, I, a, here's the reality. Okay. The game is still the game is still important because that third st- seed, if they win, is still within reach, and you'd much rather have the New York Giants or the Commanders coming to Ray J than the Cowboys at this stage. Nobody said the game's not important. There's a lot of things that are important. Don't mean you're gonna be successful <laughs> with them. Okay. <laughs> my SATs was very important. <laughs> but my ass did not get a sixteen hundred on them. <laughs> Here's the thing, all right? You're going up against a Niners team at home, won five straight, and in those five straight games, they've given up 17 points or less. And here I'm telling you about how this team is struggling offensively. And you think they're going into into San Francisco? Well, not San Francisco, but now it's like, you know. Santa Clara. Thank you very much. Levi Stadium. Uh, You think they're going to go to Levi Stadium and beat that football team? Man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you might have a medical card, man. So you might be smoking something. 
I'll close. I'll close. I'll close with this. We we talk a lot of Bucks football. We talk a lot of NFL. Both of us are football football fans in general. I'll ask you this: This Saturday, we've got the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Your four finalists, all quarterbacks: JT JT Daniels, or not JT Daniels. JT Daniels, former Georgia quarterback, Stetson Bennett, Georgia quarterback. What am I doing here? Caleb Williams from USC, CJ Stroud from Ohio State, and Max Duggan from TCU. Who should win? Who will win? I would have told you Stroud was going to win. But after that butt whipping that Michigan put on him, I think Caleb Williams is going to win. I'm I'm with you. I think Caleb Williams is going to win, even with uh, the loss to Utah and the Pac-12 championship, because I think a lot of voters put their vote in before then. I'd love to see Max Duggan win it. I don't think he will, though. Um, but, I mean, you got to feel for guys like Blake Corum and Hendon Hooker, who got injured. And a guy like Stetson Bennett is uh, is headed to New York. But... You want to talk about you want to talk about guys that got injured? How about the guy that won the award last year? Yeah, Bryce Young. Yeah, yeah. too. I th- I still think and another defensive stud on Alabama, Will Anderson. Both all of those guys could have been uh, considered over over Stetson Bennett. We'll know who wins the Heisman Trophy on Saturday night. Great time of year for college football. We're a couple weeks away from the college football playoff semifinals as well. When we're back with you next week, we'll know who won the Heisman. We'll know if the Bucks, if Lynn is going to order a cup of pewter and red Kool-Aid, uh, if the Bucks beat the 49ers, and we'll talk about what with what going into the season looked like what would be one of the most anticipated games of the entire year. The Bucks and the Bengals will be up next. Until next week, you can follow Lynn on Twitter at Elmar810. You can follow Bucks Nation on Twitter at Bucks underscore Nation. Check out BucksNation.com every single day for the latest and greatest on your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you can follow me on Twitter at TD Experience. For Lynn, I'm Trey. Until next week, this has been Downey and Martez, a Bucks Nation podcast.